see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your host, Sean Riley. Seeing food recalls in the headlines is always ominous for consumers. So pet owners who feed their pets raw foods were particularly spooked when news broke earlier this summer that some raw pet food brands were self-recalling because of a salmonella risk. Have no fear, Unpacked listeners. We reached out to Grace Denal from the Department of Food Science and Technology at the University of Nebraska. Professor Denal walks us through what happened, the impact, and procedures like high-pressure processing that can be put in place to ensure something like this doesn't happen again. Let's have a listen. So with all the fancy introductions out of the way, welcome to the podcast, Grace. Thank you for having me. So before we dive into, you know, what what can be a little bit of a heavy topic, could we could we just get you to kind of give us a little bit of your background and tell us exactly what it is that you do? Sure. Um, so my name is Grace Denau. I'm a faculty member at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm uh, associated with the Department of Food Science and Technology and also its Food Processing Center. So at the university, I wear many hats. I'm your typical faculty member doing research and teaching. But at the same time, my third hat is really in um, university extension. And most specifically, I'm a, I guess they call like a value added food processing specialist. That's a mouthful. But really, I use my engineering skills to help um, small entrepreneurs or food manufacturers kind of bring their products to market. And so one of the things that we have at UNL is um, high pressure processing. So I lead that laboratory. Oh, that's really cool. Oh, that, cool. I did not know that part of the uh, the kind of, it's almost like consulting as part of like a value add. That's, that's very interesting. But on with the topic. <laughs> so what has been happening in the news um, with raw pet food recalls? I've kind of followed it, so I've seen a little bit of it. But I guess if you could just give us, you know, our listeners kind of a high level thing about what's happening with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, over the years, we've certainly seen um, growth in um, pet ownership and certainly um, pet parents, if you will, looking for different or newer kind of formats of um, pet foods. And so thus, you know, we, we kind of come upon like some of the more minimally processed or raw pet foods out there. And some of these raw pet foods can literally be just the meat itself. Um, serve raw, um, if you will, or sometimes, you know, I guess as you scale up the process, you need to preserve um, the quality um, and the nutritional value of that um, raw meat product. So this then led to potentially, you know, like say using HPP or other um, processing and preservation techniques so that you can deliver that food um, to a much wider region, much wider audience. 
And then sometimes, you know, to extend the shelf life, you might also freeze dry the food product. Um, um, what do you call this after HPP? No, that, that that's that's fascinating. And I guess the thing that I don't understand that maybe you can help me or and hopefully a listener who is as simple as I am is if the if it's raw pet food and it's going to an at like we see animals foraging in the woods and eating things raw all the time. How can the food have things in it that would harm them? Does that make any sense to you? Like if, if you're eating food that they would normally eat, how is it going to hurt them? Because how is it quote unquote gone bad when dogs, you know, eat out of trash cans sometimes and things like that? Yeah, uh, definitely. So going back to like what we were talking about earlier, right? So we have raw meats being served now to, to animals, either sometimes the meat itself, or it could be lightly cooked. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, to keep it raw, you know, the, the best preservation technique or pasteurization technique that you can apply is high pressure processing. And then after that, since a lot of consumers are more used to like the dry kibble, we introduce freeze drying um, after HPP as another way to kind of lower the water activity and maybe make that product more shelf stable, something that's, you know, you don't have to keep refrigerated and can last a really long time. Now, granted, you know, when we start talking about scaling up the process of um, making raw pet foods out there, whether or not it's just HPP or HPP plus freeze dry, when you think about raw meats, you know, kind of like even for yourself as a human being, when you buy raw meat from the grocery store, that is a ready to cook product. So you would cook it for yourself to consume. And in this case, with raw pet foods, you know, there are some pet owners, pet parents, that prefer to feed it raw or minimally processed. So it doesn't get that cooking step that we normally use to kind of kill the salmonella, E. coli 0157, or the listeria in it. So I think this is the reason why we're seeing some raw pet food recalls is because sometimes those products are potentially not processed enough um, from the get-go, or they um, suffer from temperature abuse during distribution, um, if you will, or at the consumer end, they don't store the product properly. So then if there's any salmonella left over in the product, that could grow throughout the shelf life of the product. And eventually, you know, potentially dogs um, or your, your pets may not necessarily get sick eating that. But when you think about people living in the home, that, that's a really big food safety risk for them. You know, you may have kids that are small, they're tiny, they touch everything. Um, certainly, you know, people let their pets kiss them uh, and such. So in order to kind of make sure that the pet food is safe, um, we want to make sure we use a process like HPP to pasteurize it, get rid of the salmonella and potentially other pathogens that are in the product. Oh, OK. So it, it is more for the the pet owner, the pet parent, the people in the house that are hand that may be handling the food or it. But it may not necessarily, I guess my fear when I saw it was this might not necessarily harm the animals, correct? Correct. Yes. So I was actually at a conference recently and um, one of the pet food manufacturers in there actually said, you know, when you're making pet foods out there, it's almost like making infant formula. You know, it has to be super duper clean because, you know, this is the only nutrition um, that the the pet is getting, but it's being handled by humans, and you know people in that home may be immunocompromised, or like I said, you have children 
that are touching everything and they put their hands in their mouths. And so we want just make, want to make sure it's safe. Interesting. Yeah, that the part I wasn't <laughs> the part that I was confused by is again, I have a dog and I've seen her eat some things that she absolutely should not eat. <laughs> she has been perfectly fine afterwards. And that's where I got confused because I was thinking if we're serving this role, they should be okay with it. So I, I appreciate you clearing that up for me and making it that it is more for the the people in the house and the pet owners and pet parents. So I guess how does your your research and your work at um, University of Nebraska Lincoln um, pertain to this? Like, how, how, do, how do you work around this type of stuff? Yes. So um, I'm a food engineer by training, and I really um, take a look at different processes that we can use to kind of make food safe, not just for pets, but also for humans. And it just so happens that um, in the state of Nebraska, we have a lot of pet food manufacturers that use um, HPP or high pressure processing already. So kind of linking and collaborating with them that's led me to do some research projects on looking at the safety of the raw ingredients coming into making raw pet foods to begin with. And then looking at, well, if you choose to use HPP to pasteurize your food product, then um, how do you do that effectively? Um, so kind of like looking at the balance of the cost of doing the HPP treatment, but then also making sure that at the end of, at the, end of the day, you still have a safe product. So we do a lot of validation studies. So kind of, you know, we actually introduce the pathogens, the, the bad microorganisms into the product. Then we HPP it and then we document and make sure that, yep, the way you're HPP is going to lead to a safe product. Oh, fascinating. Now, is this common among universities or is Nebraska Lincoln one of the people that are leading this? Like I, I this wouldn't be something I would think would be that common um, in terms of HPP, but again, this might just be because I'm not completely up to speed on it. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of really good um, subject matter experts and university extension specialists um, at, you know, the U.S. universities. And so some of them have specialized, let's say, in helping food manufacturers understand, let's say, the food regulations better or get certified with HACCP or preventive controls. Um, or just kind of looking at nutritional labeling, if you will, uh, and stuff. So at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, you know, we um, value food safety greatly, and we have a lot of subject matter experts on, on food safety topics. So we cover HACCP, we cover, obviously, process validation in my lab. We have somebody that does shelf life studies. Uh, we also have a wonderful group that looks at food allergen control programs, uh, and such. So, yeah, I think this is not necessarily unique to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, but um, there's a lot of universities out there that's part of their outreach and accession effort help food manufacturers. So then I guess besides just your research and the work that you're doing back um, at the university, how else are you spreading sort of the word about, you know, high pressure processing? So most of the time, you know, I work with um, HPP service providers or tollers. So if they get contacted by a company and, you know, kind of asking about HPP, then, you know, some of them would refer those companies to us and say, well, why don't you talk to the people over at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln? They can give you some introductory information or even do some testing for you, certainly conduct your validation and shelf life studies. Now, but when it comes to, let's say, training the next generation, if you will, of food manufacturers or food engineers and food scientists out there, I definitely bring the topic of HPP into the classroom and also through some of our outreach efforts. 
So for example, recently, you know, we've had some undergraduate students do research in my laboratory so they get exposed to um, HPP technology. But I also work with some high school students who are interested in preserving foods, especially those that need to be minimally processed or there's a desire to not um, over-process them. So then I give them an opportunity to learn about HPP and incorporate it in some of their um, class projects. Oh, that's really cool, particularly because we do so many of these podcasts that talk about how there's sort of a gap um, in our industry and in manufacturing and, and packaging and processing how we're, we have a generational gap in terms of we're losing so many of the people that have been doing it for so long and, and we need, you know, workforce to fill that in. So that's really cool that you're getting out there and, and getting kids young and interested and knowledgeable about, you know, this this industry that kind of keeps things moving. You know, if we, it was one of the few things during the pandemic, for example, that, that didn't really skip a beat because we had to continue to, you know, eat and use all the things that this provides. So that that's a really cool uh, aspect of your job there. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, like when we start talking about young people not really knowing where their food comes from, right? Because like so few of them may have the opportunity to, let's say, go on the farm or understand, um, you know, where they're, they think they just kind of magically appear at the stores. But it's part of like, I think, you know, the fact that I wear a university hat, um, professor hat, if you will, that, you know, teaching is part of my job. It's really kind of teaching them that, you know, when you go to the grocery store, read the package labels, look at this, you know, let's say an HPP salsa versus a retorted or shelf life, uh, shelf stable salsa, then, you know, kind of it let them kind of start understanding, well, how can I get salsa in two different formats, two different price points, two different kinds of quality, but then both of them are safe to consume. Yeah, that's 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 great. That's really and I guess, yeah, it does tie. You're an educator at first, so that does tie to it. So I guess the one thing we haven't really hammered home um, during this is what exactly are the benefits of high pressure processing? If I happen to come upon this podcast for the first time and, and was drawn to it because I saw, you know, University of Nebraska or I saw raw pet foods, what exactly is great about high pressure processing? So high-pressure processing is a well-documented um, pasteurization technique. Um, we don't have to use um, super high pre- um, temperatures in order to kill pathogens. Instead, what we do is we use super high pressures uh, to do that. So there's a lot of science that go into this. So if you know a little bit of cell biology, you use pressures to denature the proteins uh, in the microorganisms to the point that you know, they're sublethally injured. They're like, oh my God, you know, I've, I've had this much stress, if you will. I don't know if I can continue to live after HPP. And so afterwards, you know, for the most part, they continue to die, especially if there's acid in the food product or some kind of an antimicrobial. And then, um, or, you know, eventually some of them do recover. So that's why it's a pasteurization technique, not a sterilization technique. But what's really great about it is um, HPP does not affect a lot of the components in your foods. For example, vitamins, minerals, some of the colored pigments, they're not affected at all, whereas those are normally affected by high temperatures. So at the end of the day, you kind of end up getting uh, an HPP treated product that tastes fresh, looks fresh, um, it retains some of its raw-like qualities, but it's received the benefits of traditional pasteurization in the sense that it's killed 
the pathogens and also some of the spoilage microorganisms. Really cool. So, okay, I'm starting a company. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a new, you know, I decided I'm going to bring to market my family recipe that I want to, to get out there and I want it to be sold in stores. You know, I'm a new and I'm an emerging brand. How, how would I even get started with using something like this on my product? So definitely you can reach out to, um, you know, uh, the university. So some of the extension services um, out there. Um, mm-hmm. You can also, you know, by looking online, you can find some of the high pressure processing um, service providers or tollers. And by reaching out to them, you know, they can give you some introductory information and hopefully connect you with either a university specialist like me. And there's certainly also some private laboratories out there that do testing whether or not it's process validation or shelf life studies. So that's how you would get started, is kind of doing your homework, figure out um, who's uh, providing these HPP services, and then from then on, you start building your network on all the different um, companies and service providers surrounding um, that particular um, HPP service provider. Perfect. And I'm going to have to go find something that I can bring to market that I can use HPP on. I just want to thank you again, Grace, for taking time out of what I assume is a very busy schedule um, over there at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln to come on the podcast and kind of talk us through this, uh, this situation with the raw pet food and the HPP. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.